As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast. As the December football comes thick and fast, it's match day 16. Hi there everyone, I'm Adam Leventhal, welcoming in our third match day out of seven this month. We have barely got our breath back after that midweek set of Premier League games which saw 30 goals and now we go again. Let's introduce our cast for today. It is a two-man team. First of all, hello to Ollie Kay. You have had a busy week, have you not? I'm busy every week, uh, but yes, I guess you're referring to the um, video marathon or TV marathon on um, Wednesday night, where I was where I was under orders to watch um, all the games at once, which meant having six screens open, and uh, it was it did my head in basically. The only way to watch a match properly is to just immerse yourself in that one match. So I found it a profoundly unsatisfactory um, viewing experience, but it allowed me to get some things off my chest about football on TV. So um, that piece is on the Athletic. Excellent. So you've you've sort of recovered a little bit. That's good. That's good to hear. Alongside Ollie is Joey Derso, who is not only fantastic at investigations, but perhaps more importantly, he's an Aston Villa fan. So he's literally walking on cloud nine at the moment. How are you, Joey? Very well. Yeah, still slightly coming down from the high of uh, that battering of Pep Guardiola's Man City, and I'll be there on Saturday at Villa Park to see if they can do the same against Arsenal. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be a great game. We'll get stuck into that um, and the weekend's action. Just a quick mention before we kick on with our fixture formation: a new addition to your weekend preview enjoyment. You can now watch every episode in full on the Athletic Football Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, we're normally in the studio, just in case you were wondering, but we are today at our respective homes because this schedule has really messed with all our logistics, but we will be back in the studio next week. Right, let's get into the fixture formation for this weekend. Uh, it is a very simple 6-4 setup over Saturday and Sunday. These are the games. The Saturday early kickoff is Crystal Palace 
with Roy Hodgson under quite a lot of pressure, five defeats out of seven up against Liverpool, who will go top with a win. That's the 12.30. Four Saturday, three o'clocks. Wolves against Nottingham Forest. Steve Cooper, like Roy Hodgson, is under pressure as well. You also have Brighton against Burnley. Sheffield United, that's Chris Wilder's second game in charge against Brentford. And then Manchester United against Bournemouth. And then, as we mentioned before, Saturday evening, third against first. It is Aston Villa against Arsenal at 5.30. Then on Sunday, three, two o'clocks, You've got Luton against Manchester City. No win in four for them. Fulham against West Ham. Both sides on a high after their results in midweek. Fulham 5-0 battering of Nottingham Forest and then West Ham winning at Spurs. And then you have Everton now out of the relegation zone against Chelsea. And then on Sunday afternoon, you have Spurs against Newcastle. Both sides licking their wounds. Let's start the show, though, at Red Hot Villa Park. So Aston Villa welcome Arsenal in Saturday's late kickoff. Aston Villa with that dominant victory over the champions, Manchester City 1-0. Meanwhile, Arsenal, they are two points clear at the top of the table going into this weekend after that dramatic late 4-3 win at Luton. Joey, just sum up the the feelings of being an Aston Villa fan at the moment in comparison with, with previous seasons, because now people are expecting things from Aston Villa. People are talking about not only the Champions League, but people are maybe quietly saying, well, hang on a minute, if they can beat Manchester City, what are they capable of? Could they Could they go all the way? Are we getting ahead of ourselves? Yeah, I think we are. And I think, you know, all the Villa fans I know would certainly chuck a bucket of cold water on that. You know, I mean, they drew at Bournemouth last week. They lost against Nottingham Forest a few weeks ago. I think no one's getting that far ahead. But, um, you know, Champions League seems like a real prospect. And I think, um, you know, for the first few weeks or months of Emery, it was, you know, is this a fluke? Is this, are they outpacing XG? But now, you know, over the course of a calendar year, Villa have been the third or fourth best team in the league. Um, and there are so many players in that team that are just, you know, playing like they're one of the best teams in the league. You've got, you know, John McGinn absolutely running the show against Man City the other night. Um, yeah, I think it's going to get harder as the season goes on. Villa don't have the squad depth that the teams around them maybe do. Um, it's going to get really hard in, uh, you know, the Europa Conference League. I didn't quite realise until having a look at the fixture list that how compressed those games are. Um, you know, between the round of 16 and the final is about two and a half months, um, seven games. So if that is also going on with a Champions League race will be really tough. Um, so I think people are realistic, but also just so excited. I mean, you know, Villa, obviously a massive team, won the European Cup in 82, couple of League Cups in 94, 96, which I'm just too young to remember. Um, and ever since then, it's been pretty boring. Um, you know, promotion from the Championship, but shouldn't have been there anyway. Um, so yeah, this is this is the, the glory days. This is the dream. It's amazing. It's great. Um, can't wait to get down there on Saturday and hopefully beat Arsenal. Ollie, uh, from your perspective and from what you were able to to gather from that victory over Manchester City, how good were Villa? Because the statistics were so far one way in favour of, of Villa. It, it was quite remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I thought they were outstanding. I, I, I tweeted during the game that it was the best performance I'd seen in the Premier League this season. Someone said, oh, stop exaggerating. I mean, it really clearly was. I, I, 
what what has been a better performance in the Premier League this season? I mean, if I think of Liverpool's best, it was probably against Villa at Anfield, a th- fairly comfortable 3-0. If I think of Man City's best, it was probably that Derby win at Manchester United a few weeks ago, but that wasn't them at absolute top level, 10 out of 10. This was this was pretty much a 10 out of 10 performance from, from Villa. It was so energetic, so committed, so incredibly well-structured, organised, the way they defended together, the way they pressed and the way they attacked so incisively. I mean, I, I know you could say they got Man City at a good time because of a couple of injuries and obviously the suspension of Rodri, which is very important, but I thought they were so good, so good. It, it was. I've been impressed with them all season, but that was not only a level above anything else I'd seen from them this season, but a level above anything else I'd seen from anyone this season. Which is not to say that they're best, the best team in the league, but that was just such an outstanding performance. And Joey, just to explain for people who aren't necessarily familiar with going to to Villa Park or having studied that recent run, the fact that. Villa are now going for their 15th straight home win. Why are they so dominant and dependable at Villa Park at the moment? Yeah, well, I think I think you know the atmosphere's been great, you know, as it would be at any ground where a team have won so many games. But I think it's it's a ground that's seen a lot of misery in the past 20 years. It's often been pretty dull, pretty uninspiring stuff. So people are just so up for it. I think that there was a stat that Villa Villa were behind against Crystal Palace for about 40 minutes and then came back to win 3-1. And that's the only time in those 13 wins that Villa have been behind. So it's just really kind of swatting teams away, really dominant. Um, you know, that, that midfield of Luis, Kamara, McGinn, I think is up there with the best the best midfields in the league. You know, really solid at the back. Ollie Watkins scoring loads of goals. You know, Emi Martinez, who's been declared the best goalkeeper in the world by FIFA. This is a really good team from, from strength to back. I mean, you know, it's really not the same away from home. But, you know, when Villa Park is bouncing, I think I think... As more and more grounds kind of modernise and become these modern stadiums, which can often seem quite similar, it's that traditional four-sided English ground can just feel really special and really unique. And, um, you know, they're upgrading it. The, the the transport around the ground is terrible, which is a whole different topic. But I think it feels like a really special place, maybe more so than it did 20 years ago, because it's almost different in being uh, traditional. The last team, though, to win at Villa Park were Arsenal. Back in February, they won... 4-2. Ollie, do you think that knowing the way the sort sort of Mikel Arteta approaches these things, do you think he will be talking about that victory a lot and talking about how they did it then? Or do you think things have moved on for, for both teams so much that you can't attach any importance to that result? Well, I think I think Villa in particular have moved on since then. I mean, they were in the early stages of Emery at the time and that was a really Good game, um, you know, exciting. It was two-two going into stoppage time, wasn't it? And then, and then the Martinez unfortunate own goal. Uh, but my recollection of that game was that Villa were really hanging on, and Arsenal were sort of pushing, pushing, pushing for that win, and eventually wore them down. It, it, it felt like a pretty one one-sided game. Whereas now you look at the way Villa played on on Wednesday night, and they now look like a team that believe that they can take the game to to the best they can play on the front foot I think Emery spoken about that game as a bit of a turning point because um, I think Villa tried to time waste it became a bit of a running joke Emmy Martinez the time waster um, which is you know basically true but I think Emery got really annoyed with him for wasting time at 2-2 in that game he said you know we can beat these we've got the skill to beat these we, we can win and you know you don't want to draw at home you want to win against any team 
And since then, you saw it against Man City. Villa went a goal up in the 74th minute and just kept going for it, kept going forward and could quite easily have scored another. They didn't retreat back into themselves, pile everyone into the box and try to stop City scoring. So I think that's the approach we'll see from Villa. You know, even if they do nick a lead, they'll want to score more. Oli, how important do you think this week is in terms of having played a day later than Arsenal? We've heard Jurgen Klopp get quite prickly this week when he was speaking on on Amazon about the schedule. Obviously, this week it really intensifies. So potentially that extra 24 hours for Arsenal could potentially make the difference. Yeah, ma- ma- managers will always say they they could do with all the extra, extra rest that, that they can get. The way Villa are playing at the moment, they, they seem like they're on the crest of a wave and they look like they'd be ready to, you know, they looked on Wednesday night like, like they'd be ready to play again on Thursday. Uh, doesn't quite work like that physiologically, does it? But yeah, I, I think when, when teams are in that frame of mind and on in that sort of physical condition, they can just welcome welcome the next game whenever it comes. A couple of Arsenal subplots that are definitely worth mentioning ahead of the game. The Raya-Ramsdale issue is is still very much a live issue. However much Mikel Arteta poo-poos it at every opportunity and saying that, you know, I'm very happy with my team. He doesn't even engage in it. Do you think that this may develop into a, an Achilles heel for him, Ollie? Or, or do you think that what Raya is maybe bringing, aside from some mistakes is actually more important for Arsenal. I'm really quite torn on it. I, I understood the idea in, in the summer. I thought Ramsdale had a, a good season, but was probably one of the positions where you thought, well, if you were going to upgrade anywhere, maybe, maybe you could get you know, a really, really top-class keeper. And I understood the logic of that, as, as harsh as it seems, as ruthless as it seems. I'm just not convinced that, that Raya is, is that big an upgrade or, or that... As much as we talk about Ray's ability with the ball, which you know he, he's got a beautiful ping on him, the same way Edison has, for example, I don't think he looks that you know that much different to to Ramsdale in terms of the playing it out in tight spaces under pressure, as in as in short passing. I feel like it's a problem for them. When Ramsdale came back in, he made mistakes. It doesn't feel like either goalkeeper is feeling incredibly confident at the moment. It doesn't feel like the defence are that confident in either goalkeeper. And yet they're top of the table. So, um, and I think they've won the last six in all competitions and eight out of the last 10. So it's, you know, it's first world problems, I guess. I mean, it, it's it's very different to the kind of nitpicking we were doing with Arsenal two or three years ago when we were saying, he's not good enough. He's not fit. He doesn't care. He's earning too much. Um, some of those um, apply to the same player. So it's relatively an issue, but Arsenal are doing pretty well as, as things stand. Yeah, and they will argue, yes, there might have been a few high-profile mistakes or hiccups, but they have the joint best defence in the Premier League with only 14 goals conceded. Joey, just a, a quick word on the fact that it's almost a shame, really, that we're not going to see Unai Emery and all his gesticulating and, and running up and down in the technical area and be able to compare it right alongside Mikel Arteta because Arteta isn't going to be on the on the touchline. Uh, th- that's potentially going to have a, a, an impact, do you think, on Arsenal's energy on the day or, or, or not really? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a very active man on the touchline, isn't he, Arteta? I'll be interested to see, has anyone run the numbers on whether it has an effect on the pitch? You know, maybe you could say it helps because if you're if you make a mistake, you're not looking nervously over to the guy shouting at you. Um 
you know, who knows? But yeah, Unai Emery certainly loves gesticulating on the sideline and I'm sure wherever Arteta is, he'll be gesticulating. It's been interesting seeing the shift in expectations with Arsenal this season. I mean, they're not doing that. They're doing basically the same as they were last season and maybe they're three points worse off or something, but they're top of the table. They're playing really well and they're, you know, winning these games like the Luton game, you know, the Man United game. And their fans just seemed a bit pretty nervous, pretty twitchy, I guess, because how it all went wrong in a few weeks in April last season. But, you know, think these are great times to be an Arsenal fan. They're doing really well and they're top of the league. Just a quick mention, uh, because I didn't mention it earlier on, that uh, if you are an Arsenal fan, you're not going to want to miss the Athletic Football Podcast episode. It referenced, actually, the last time that Arsenal uh, won at Villa Park, the last team to win at Villa Park, and Jorginho, who scored what turned out to be the winner, although it did rebound off Emi Martinez, etc., etc. He is the main guest on that podcast, and it's a fascinating chat uh, with Io, so you can check that one out. Um, let's get some predictions on Villa against Arsenal. Let's start with you, Joey. You're going to be there. Uh, God, I've got a pretty to win, haven't I? 2-1 Villa. 2-1 Villa and Oli. I will go 2-2 and one of the games of the season. Well, let's hope it is. Next up for us, what is happening at Manchester City? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So four games without a win for Manchester City after that 1-0 loss at Aston Villa. And it's their longest run without a league win under Pep Guardiola since early 2017. And he has admitted that they are struggling. They'll be hoping to break that sequence at Kenilworth Road against Luton Town this weekend. But let's just analyse what has been the problem for them recently. Ollie, you mentioned about Rodri early on. He missed the game against Aston Villa. Is it that simple that he's such a key piece of the jigsaw? And if so, how has Pep Guardiola not solved that problem? They haven't won any of the four games that he's missed. It's quite a, it's sort of juxtaposed to Pep Guardiola's brilliance, isn't it? Yeah, well, he, he signed Calvin Phillips as a, as a sort of Rodri understudy and that hasn't really worked. But I, I just, I mean, that's that's probably a, seen as a stick with which to beat Calvin Phillips but I think any player as an understudy for Rodri I, I think he's so so outstanding um, the best in the world comfortably in that position one of the best players in the league I, I don't think he ever gets mentioned for the individual awards but I think he should have been right up there for the PFA award last season for the Ballon d'Or he should be sort of top three top four for that in my opinion he's so good and there's a massive drop-off when he's not there. And they've got nobody who can replicate that. 
and they try to play a different way when he's not there because they don't they don't put Phillips in. They didn't start with Kovacic. It was a completely different type of midfield, and they were completely overrun. And I'm not saying Rodri alone would have made it from a one-sided game one way to a one-sided game the other way, but I've never seen them overrun like that when Rodri's been playing. So he is he is that good. He really is. They're not the same team without him, but I I don't think they've. People look at the last four games and they've taken three points, three draws and a, a defeat. But it's also three wins in nine in the Premier League. I've not heard too many people point that out in terms of the stat. They haven't really... I mean, they won the first six in the, in the league. So again, we're talking about first world problems. But I, I don't think they're anything... I don't think their performance level has been anywhere near that of last spring when they were outstanding. On the other hand, I would say their performance level this time last year wasn't great either. They didn't really sort of hit third, fourth, fifth, you know, top gear, the top gears until January and De Bruyne get, went on that run and everything seemed to sort of click into place with, with the team set up, with, with the hunger of the team, with the attitude of the team. And I can see the same happening again. It's not like they're miles and miles behind. It's, it's more a case, I think, really of whether Arsenal and Liverpool and Possibly Villa can set a pace that that makes it hard for City to catch up. But I, I could see them going on a look. Look at how the fixtures change now. I could see them going on a bit of a run. Yeah, because that's what they they normally do. And it's almost I don't know. It's almost as if Pep Guardiola likes having a little bit of an extra challenge to get his teeth into. If it if it was too easy, maybe it wouldn't be as as much fun for uh, Pep Guardiola to be able to sort of surge past the other teams and and catch them. But Joey, from your point of view, I suppose a sort of a double barrel question. Do you think that it was all almost likely that after the highs of, of winning the treble, that there was going to be some sort of drop off? And at the same time, if you think that this drop off is, is something different, do you think that yeah, maybe Arsenal. This might be Arsenal's season. You know, they're six points off them at the moment. Maybe this recent run is saying that maybe it might not be their season. Yeah, with with the drop off, I think you know you saw similar with with Liverpool when they had that season of sixty odd games and they you know lost the missed out on the Premier League and Champions League, but won the two domestic cups. And afterwards, they was completely emotionally, physically drained and had a bad run. And maybe it's similar. It's just you know most teams don't play sixty something games; they play. 40-something games. But yeah, they, they they do seem seem pretty off. I mean, against Villa, they were just totally not at the races at all. I, I've never seen, you know, you know it, it follows a formula, right? It's City have 20 shots on target, somehow don't score or score one. The other team, you know, get a corner and score or get a penalty near the end and score. That's how Man City usually lose in the league. They, they, you do not see them being overrun in midfield like that. But um, yeah, we've seen it multiple times before, right? They have a shaky time in the autumn and then in the new year, go and run 15 games back to back. You know, I don't see Arsenal or even Liverpool putting on a run like that. But, you know, maybe I'll be wrong. But Oli, they're going to beat Luton, aren't they? Uh, I would suspect so, yeah. It, it, um, it, I mean, Luton, Luton were really impressive on, on Tuesday night against Arsenal, the way they competed and, and the way they just, they, they never give up. They, they, they're competitive in every game and uh, you know they were written off so widely and so disparagingly at the start of the season but every game has been a battle for the opposition perhaps you well perhaps after the first two or three whether you know they played Chelsea and played Brighton and they lost quite soundly in, in those two um, away games but since then in particular at Kenilworth Road they have been really competitive and 
yeah, I, I think they'll I think they'll make it quite difficult for 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 City. But yeah, I, I would I think it's fair to say I would I would predict a a City win, especially with Rodri back. And um, yeah, I, I I would expect a City win. I was just looking at their fixtures until the new year, and it's Luton, Palace, Everton, and Sheffield United. So obviously, going to Goodison Park is tough at the moment. But you'd expect them to, you know, get at least three wins in there. So things might all look a bit different by by New Year's Day. Quick predictions from you, Luton, Man City, Joey. One-one. Why not? Uh, okay, fine. Uh, and Ollie. Having said all that I've said about it, Luton, um, I think this might be one game where they where they do find it hard. So I'll, I'll say three 0 for Man City. Okay. Up next, let's head around the rest of the Premier League. So let's have a look at the Sunday 4.30 kickoff in the UK. And that is Tottenham against Newcastle. And both teams coming off bad losses on Thursday night. Spurs lost against West Ham 2-1. Again, they led. Again, they lost. And then Newcastle lost 3-0 at Everton. And they headed away with more injury worries. The likes of uh, Jamal Lascelles hobbling off just to mount uh, Eddie Howe's injury woes. Um, Ollie, let's let's deal with, with Spurs. That problem that they've got, where they go ahead and they still lose. Are we seeing fragility in Ange Postacoglu's philosophy here? Or is it just, just a phase they're going through? I don't think it's particularly fragility in, 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 the, in, the, in the way they play. I think it's there's probably some fragility in the team and particularly again with with injuries they've been quite depleted the last few weeks particularly defensive midfield it's it's not been the same 11 and as 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 was playing well at, so well at the start of the season they're a team where if you look beyond the sort of first 11 or 12 players there's quite a drop off in quality so i think i think that is a factor we've still seen them taking the the game to the opposition Playing on the front foot where possible, not possible for long periods at Man City on Sunday, but they but they still managed to take the lead, still managed to score three times. So we've seen that belief in in, in the way they play, and we've seen a vulnerability when when they're attacked. And I don't think everything was right with the philosophy and and the way they were playing in the first few months of the season. And and there were there was a sense that perhaps they were the results were slightly better than the performances a lot of the time. You think back to that Sheffield United win, you think back to the the win against Liverpool when Liverpool were down to nine men. I think those were slightly flattering in in, in different ways in terms of the quality of their performance. But I think there's been a a little bit of a regression to the mean, plus the injuries, plus you know a tougher run of games again. Not that West Ham at home is a game they should have lose from 1-0 up, but... Yeah, I, I think I think various factors say tell you why perhaps the the honeymoon period is over, but I don't think that means it's suddenly really problematic playing on the front foot. I like the way they play. I like what he's trying to do, and I think when they get their the main players back, and maybe if they can add to their team in, in in January, I think everything will be cheery again. I don't I don't see Spurs fans panicking and feeling depressed the way they did. 12 months ago whenever a, a result went wrong under Conte and, and two, three years ago when they lost games under Mourinho, that there is something you can get behind, I think, with Postacoglu. Yeah, he's got plenty of credit in the bank despite the fact that they haven't won in five games. Newcastle's form 
isn't actually that bad. It's just that their injury problems continue. It's a similar situation to to Spurs. But also, Joey, they are great at home, but less so away from home. Eight wins at home, only one away. And they also have to factor into their thinking a really important game in the following midweek, next week, in the Champions League against AC Milan. They've got a few issues and this feels like quite a pivotal couple of games for them in their season, doesn't it? Yeah, particularly against Spurs. I mean, it feels like with with Villa, there's a sort of race for Champions League there. The, the league's already separating into its sort of mini divisions. You've got, you know, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City in the title race. Um, then the Champions League, those three teams, plus, you know, Man United, even Chelsea aren't too far behind. So it'd be massive. Losing that game would be really bad for both those teams, I think. Um, and Newcastle are so weakened by injuries. I mean, uh, you know, as a Tottenham, and I think it'd be totally different when they get some players back. It is, it's really notable this season, just how many injuries there are. We've got you know, the longer injury time, which is good in many respects. We're seeing less time wasting, but we're seeing so many more injuries. And off the back of that, ever since COVID, really, just this relentless schedule and, you know, players have just been running to the ground and I don't think it's serving the longer term interests of football at all. Right, let's move on to one of those other teams in the mix for Champions League uh, places. Uh, Manchester United, if they win, they could go level on points with Manchester City. They take on Bournemouth and... United getting a real confidence-boosting victory against Chelsea in midweek. And interesting that Eric Ten Hag, who has been prepared to take some bold decisions, did it again with Marcus Rashford, Ollie, dropped to the bench and it reaped rewards. Obviously, Scott McTominay was the, the hero once again. How do you assess how Eric Ten Hag is dealing with the pressure that he is under? at the moment. To be honest, I, f- I feel like a lot of their best performances and results over the last 18 months or so, you know, since, since he arrived um, at the start of the last season, have been when when they've been backs against the wall and when, when he's had to make tough decisions and when he's had to sort of challenge the underperforming players and, and really urge them to sort of dig deep and I think back to that Liverpool game at the start of last season that was a, a really important one for, for them I think in a different way this game against Chelsea w- w- was really important they really needed a reaction their Premier League form was actually really good they've won I think six six out of the last eight this talk of Harry Maguire being player of the month and Ten Hag being manager of the month which will surprise people when, when they look at United's form in the Champions League but the, the Premier League form has actually been pretty good, and and in terms of the Rashford decision, I I think I think it was he'd been braver in some ways to stick with him because he's not he's not been he's not been playing well. The difficulty has been well, who do you put in because Anthony's not been playing well. But he gave Anthony a game on on uh, Wednesday night, and Anthony played a lot better. Garnacho's producing more often, I would say, and and looking more more reliable by the week probably so yeah it, it was it was a bold call from a man management point of view but I think from a technical tactical point of view it was it was probably a fairly straightforward decision and it was vindicated by probably their best performance of the season and Joey I'm not sure how on top of the situation you are but I will chance my arm the fact that Sir Dave Brailsford Jean-Claude Blanc of Ineos met Manchester United executives at Old Trafford on Thursday obviously they are working with Sir Jim Radcliffe and, and his acquisition appears as if it's edging closer. 
once it is, that will feel like a, a bit of a weight is lifted. Yes, obviously the Glazers are still involved, but it might just add a bit of momentum, a bit of clarity heading into January. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this situation has gone on for over a year now. There's also the whole thing about the Qataris, which never happened. It must be very destabilizing to not know who your boss is for all that time. I, th I think just psychologically that's difficult for the, for the manager, for the team even. I think once that's done, it will feel a bit calmer. And Ollie, just a quick word on Bournemouth, because everyone's thinking, oh, it's Manchester United against Bournemouth. They'll win again at home. But the turnaround at Bournemouth has been really impressive. And it shows just keeping the faith at times can actually serve you well, can't it? Yeah. I mean, it was um, about a month ago, there was talk of Iraola being under quite a lot of pressure. And they lost they lost a number of games on the on the run. There was a They got hammered 6-1 at Man City and people were saying, oh, well, it... it is that going to be it? Is that is that going to be it for Iraola? And I, I spoke to people at Bournemouth at the time, and they were saying, "Look, you know, we 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 need we need points on the board, but this wasn't done in the expectation of clicking from day one. It's an appointment which we think will improve the team going forward." You look at the last four games; I think it's it's three wins and a draw, and the, and they're playing really well. And and I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're favourites at Old Trafford by by any means, but you know, looking at what's coming up. The next three games after that, they've got Luton, Forest, Fulham. Yeah, I, I think I think they're they're definitely heading in the right direction, and it's and it's good to see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So faith shown in Iraola. I wonder if the same will be shown in Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest. They go to Wolves on Saturday. They lost 5-0 against Fulham in midweek. Do we feel like we're at sort of end of days now for, for Steve Cooper if they were to, to lose at Wolves and the hierarchy might have a little bit more time to, to bring someone else in? It, it just feels as if it's... It's going to happen probably very soon, or is that being unfair, Ollie? I think unfair is the fact that <laughs> that it's probably going to happen. I don't think it's it's unfair us saying that. Either look at the job he's done over the last two years. I think it's absolutely outstanding because I think the club is still essentially a bit of a basket case under this regime, and I think Cooper has fostered a sense of stability, serenity on the pitch on 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 match days. Um, which is so admirable. But I think he's always been on borrowed time because I think Maranakis is one of these owners who always wants to be trying to make a difference and always wanting to sign sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen players in the transfer window, always wanting to change the manager. It goes that's that's his instinct. You look at the way he runs Olympiakos, you look at what he did at Forest before appointed Cooper, you look at what I think every instinct will be that no, I'm sorry, we, we we change manager now, and I think it's unfair, and I think it's the wrong decision personally. Um, but I, I looked at Steve Cooper on Wednesday night, and he looks he looks fairly wearied. He looks a little bit broken and jaded by that performance, and um, 
two years working under Maranakis at, at Forest uh, must must be quite wearying uh, in itself. And I, I feel like it's probably coming to an end. But I think that's a, a cause for regret for Forest fans rather than um, rather than the sen- celebration you sometimes see when managers are sacked. Yeah, and and Joey, just a quick word. It, it looks with a with another link to the game as if Julian Lopetegui, the former Wolves boss, uh, who left under a cloud just as the season was about to to kick off and replaced by Gary O'Neill, might be the guy to go in at Forest. Do, do you see that being a a match made in heaven if it does happen? Yeah, I mean it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? There's also is it Glasner um, has been mentioned. But you've just seen there's such instability at Forest, you know, the, the constant changing of personnel, the constant changing of players. I mean, with Steve Cooper, I was actually chatting to a friend who's a Forest fan the other day. There are huge parallels with Dean Smith at Aston Villa, who, you know, complete hero, got the team promoted, did really well. And then th- things went sour. And there's a real there was a real feeling with Villa. And I think there is with Forest that no one wants things to get so bad that, you know, the, the, the crowd sort of turn on him or anything like that, because the memories are so brilliant. I think the difference is that there, there isn't the trust in the the hierarchy at Forest to necessarily get the next um, d- decision right. You know, some of those players have been signed for a lot of money, really don't look very good. And the sort of core um, team that got them promoted, you know, I know they've had some some bad injuries as well, but I, I don't think getting a sort of newer, shinier manager who's won things in Europe is necessarily um, going to have the solution that, that Maranakis wants it to. But that squad is packed with brilliant players and they should be, you know, in the in mid-table and far from any relegation fears. Just a quick word before we go. One of the other games that I wanted to mention, Everton against Chelsea, Sunday at two o'clock. And it's interesting, now Everton, you know, they got their victory against Newcastle. They're out of the relegation zone. If they hadn't have been deducted those 10 points, they would be above Chelsea in 10th, in the Premier League and they take on Chelsea at Goodison Park and Ollie, the, the way that it's going at the moment it almost feels that even with these 10 points taken off they may well still make it into the top half of the table they're going along like a train at the moment yeah I mean look top half looks looks daunting with, with that 10 point deduction I mean it's still it, there's still a fair number of teams in front of them but I suppose with the exception of Bournemouth currently Wolves currently Maybe Fulham the last few weeks, you know, none of those teams are playing particularly well. The teams in front of them, they do seem to have really stabilised and been. I'm not. I'm not going to say they've been energised by the points deduction, but I think the crowd, the crowd has been. And yeah, it's possible that they could that they could finish well clear of 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 the bottom three. I I I think if the if the ten point deduction stands, I think top half might be might be pushing it a bit because I, I I see. I mean, I can't see. Chelsea failing to improve on on the first half of the season, either. and looking at the table, it's you know the, the, there's quite a gap between ninth and tenth, so it might be that there's only one more spot in the top ten available. Um, but no, it, it, it's credit to it's credit to Everton that having had that enormous blow and lost that next game against Manchester United, they, they, they've they've responded so well the last two games, and um, it's uh, yeah, it's really encouraging. Okay, Ollie, Joey, time has beaten us. Um, on this episode. Thanks very much for coming on, Ollie. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. And Joey, thanks to you. Thank you. That is all for today. Io is going to be back on Monday. We will be back with another weekend preview next Friday. We will be back in the studio, I think, in the warmth of the studio. Oh, yeah. And because we are building up to Christmas, why not give a friend or a loved one the gift of The Athletic? 
this holiday season. A one-year subscription at the special discounted price of just $19.99 in dollars or pounds for that entire year. If you want to take it up and you want to gift it to your loved ones, simply head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you very much for listening and have a great weekend. The Athletic.